It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and the Irish sedan to Mike Conor McGregor bike trip. Handsome Nick John Braccia III. How do you do, man? I'm doing all right. Even on my worst days, I don't feel as bad as the UFC looks. Yeah, no, <laughs> no fucking joke. You are not kidding. But but Dana White, relentless. And no matter what happens with Dana, relentlessly will still act as if he is he is uh, uh, just altruistic and a, and a good human being and extremely. We talked all that powerful all that junk about the Paul brothers, and now he's signing deals for energy drinks with them. Of like. course he is. But to be fair, he was more specific toward Jake Paul. When he was talking junk, but of course yeah. he is. If there, if if you're gonna send money his way and and uh, and allow him to allow him to earn some more money for WMEIMG, he's gonna do it, motherfucker. So Nick, this uh, Irish sedan Conor McGregor thing, we got to talk about it if only a little bit. An allegation came out by a woman um, who resides in Ireland who apparently you know saw McGregor in Ibiza and was invited onto a yacht party and. After, you know, like the yacht party went pretty deep into the night and the next morning, apparently Conor McGregor started beating the shit out of her, at least according to her. She had to literally jump out of the uh, yacht to get away and broke her arm in the process. Apparently she didn't file the lawsuit, though. She kept quiet and didn't make a stink of it, from what we can tell, until her car was set on fire, Nick. And I can only imagine the day after her car was set on fire for her to file this allegation against McGregor. I can only imagine it's because she believes that this is an intimidation tactic. We know that McGregor's been either feuding with or associated with mafia, uh, with the mafia in Ireland. Um, and and now, like, like I mean, McGregor just looks really bad at this point. And then McGregor comes out with this bullshit thing with a scratch on his ass, uh, a post about how he got, quote-unquote, hit by a car while riding his bicycle. Well, um, you, do you see the video of the accident? Uh, did I didn't you see the video a, of the accident itself? I did not realize there was a video of the accident, but I'm like, oh no, yeah, that's what that's what I that's what I initially legit? saw. Is it? Legit? Oh yeah, it's ext- it's extremely legit. And the guy the guy who hit him gives him a ride home, and the guy looks that's, very like terrified because he he was he was it's the regular dude, and he got blinded. Uh, he was um, he was blinded by the glare. The sun was like he couldn't see in front of him because the sun was so bright. And that's why so you're he saying the, the the star of Conor McGregor shone so bright, Nick, that he couldn't see him as he ran him over. Nick, I'm glad he ran him over. And I know like Conor's whole thing of like, look, I'm a really nice guy. I'm letting this guy get away with it scot free, and he's even giving me a ride home. Um, again, to distract from the story about this woman who says that he beat the shit out of her, um, and then possibly set her car on fire. Conor McGregor's not a good man. Um, he's clearly into drugs and all, all kinds of craziness. Um, obviously, there's an element of there's a huge element of him being good for the sport because he attracts a lot more attention. He's raised the stakes, and a lot more fighters are getting paid a lot more because Conor kind of pushed that out, pushed the envelope in that way. But he is not different from John Jones, except he is smarter in that he's able to get away with the shit. He's able to figure out. Uh, hire the right people to make sure that no trouble actually touches him. I don't know if the Irish government is is willing to help him whenever possible, but it just seems like he gets away with absolutely everything. Whereas John Jones will be stupid enough to run over somebody or or get into a fender bender and then sprint out of his car, leaving pot inside of his car for for them to then find because he didn't want them to test uh, the them to test him for for substances or, and what have you. Um, the difference between Connor and John Jones really is that John Jones is not as as 
how do I put this? He, he he's just not as capable of getting away with shit as Connor is. He's not. And he's Con- not quite as. He's not quite as shameless. John Jones um, no, stuff. He, I mean, he's pretty. Sh- uh, he's incredibly shameless. He's just not as good at getting away. Like like steroids. John Jones does steroids. Gets popped twice, right? He hides under the ring. There's a famous story about him hiding under oh, the yeah. uh, hiding under the cage at Greg Jackson's because a USADA person was on location waiting for him to show up, and he never did. He just hid there all day, Nick, to avoid giving them a piss test. Whereas Conor McGregor, you know what he does? He wants to get on steroids. He calls the UFC and he tells them, "Do whatever you have to do. I'm getting on steroids. Uh, retire me unofficially if you want to. Don't make an announcement. Whatever you got to do, I'm getting on some juice." He gets on the juice. He gets really fucking buff for no reason, even though his leg is is uh, is broken. Oh no, no yeah, there was there was a reason. He was in a, he's in the remake of Roadhouse, and I'm sure he wanted, you know, you, it's if you're if you're walking around at 160 pounds and 510 or whatever Connor is, you're not very intimidating. Well, if you, if you're and opposite Jake Dill, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, um, you know, who's a normal Jake Gyllenhaal's a big dude. I used to see him in at the Colom in Tribeca. Really? Is it, like, is it, is I mean, it I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm five. Yeah, I mean, I'm five nine. I'm not small. I'm like, but he's like, the only way to describe like Jake Gyllenhaal is a, he's a strapping dude. He's like, he's like six one, broad shoulders. Okay, fair enough. Like, um, but, he's but a big, I, I he's think a big the bigger dude. reason, and and I could be wrong on this. I think the bigger reason for Connor taking steroids is because he wanted to heal from this thing, and higher levels of testosterone allow you to heal from serious injuries in that way. You know, there's a reason steroids are are often a prescribed method, whether it be kind of topically or, or, or at the site or orally or what have you um, whenever you got a serious injury because it just helps you heal. That's one of the big advantages of taking steroids in mixed martial arts in a sport where training camps beat the shit out of you and, and leave you injured. Um, you know, the, the quick recovery is a big difference maker and I think like Chris Wyman probably could have benefited from that. Maybe Anderson Silva did it because of that reason. I, I, I don't think he was ever popped prior to the leg break. Um, I, maybe I'm pretty sure it was only after, and so maybe Anderson Silva also had picograms in his system for that reason, right? It's because he wanted to heal uh, quicker from that leg break. Um, in any case, Nick, Conor McGregor being a terrible human being aside, and him being media savvy enough to distract us with some bullshit feel-good story about him getting hit by a car and then being friends with the with the guy that ran him over. Um, we got a couple of news items to discuss. We're, we're going to quickly go over UFC 283, I believe it was where uh, we saw Glover Teixeira lose his last opportunity for the UFC title to Jamal Hill. Uh, do quickly want to touch on a couple of fight announcements, Nick. First, we got Leon Edwards versus Usman, too. It seems like Usman, who initially said his he had a handbrake, like, it seems like he's rushed into this a little bit because there were so many other opportunities for Leon Edwards to take. Um, what are your thoughts on this, man? Is it taking it too soon after the knockout and the handbrake? Um, I mean, more con- more concerned about the hand, but... Um... Maybe, you know, may, maybe he's taking it too soon. I don't know how long that, in, that kind of injury uh, takes to heal. Um, I think that if you're, you know, if you're Usman going into this fight, you are, I, I do believe that for, for reasons of popularity, for probably reasons of ego, um, and also driven a little bit by the competition where, you know, he's going to fight someone like Colby that's going to turn into a kickboxing fight. I feel like Usman got a little more comfortable. You know, he did knock out Masvidal, but a, but a fading, aging Masvidal. Um, I, I think I think Usman is going to be training uh, training up his wrestling and in, in shooting and in, in, in training entry and shot after shot after shot. And that this is not going to be... 
uh, he's not want to, going to want to contest this on the feet. I think he's going to want to try to do to Leon Edwards what he did to like a Tyron Woodley. Um, I don't know if he's going to be successful with that, but I think that's going to be his game plan. Um, so you know maybe the you know maybe the hand is less important. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a tricky situation. Like you know, there's stem cell and and all these other things that maybe he can take advantage of to come back quicker. It's just it seems a little bit rushed and kind of like with Israel Adesanya, where um, you know both Edwards and and uh, Pereira have been like getting a lot of attention. A lot of people want to fight him. A lot of people are calling them out. And so Usman and Izzy almost kind of had a choice, like let him fight somebody else and let the division do some level of moving on, and then I might have to take a fight in the interim or get back in there and get my goddamn title back. You know, great risk, great reward. I guess it's a it's a tricky situation. I think obviously Usman should be a bigger favorite over Edwards than than Izzy would be over uh, Pereira. Even though both guys, I would imagine, would be favored in those matchups. But Edwards dominated Usman in the first round, right? Let's not forget that. It's not like he lost every one of those rounds up until he knocked him out in the fifth. So he's he dominated him in the first round, and then he knocked him out in the fifth round, and then Usman won three rounds. So. You know, the, you can look at this and you can realize this this could be somewhat competitive. It's just really all depends uh, on Edwards' ability to avoid the takedown, to to kind of stay focused throughout that process. Like he did lose his focus at some point, and then and then started to work on setting up that head kick, which ended up working for him. But it's not like Usman can't stand with the guy. I do have concerns about Usman getting knocked out, just completely out, just completely knocked out, shin to the head, and then coming back. What is it, seven or eight months later? Um, you know, is it enough recovery time for a guy that's in his mid to, what is he, 35, I believe, Usman, if I'm not mistaken? Um, wow. First time being knocked out, like this, you know, it, this could have a real effect on the guy. So um, I, I definitely don't think that this is a walk in the park for him by any means. But, um, you know, what's going to be more competitive on paper, at least, is the uh, is the Adesanya versus Pereira matchup, which I'm, again, intrigued by a lot of the same dynamics that played out last time. And the difference is that Adesanya didn't take a horrible knockout in that one, right? Yeah, he was dazed, he was rocked, he was uh, a little bit off, but... He didn't take a terrible knockout, unlike Usman, so it's not like his chin should be terribly affected uh, following that. I don't think his chin will be terribly affected. I mean, listen, I get I get why we have to do their fourth fight. There's just... I'm so interested in seeing Alex Pahea against Jamal Hill, against Robert Whitaker, against Marvin Vittori. Like, I just... You know, if, if uh, Pahea loses... You know, we're just we're gonna potentially lose a lot of really interesting title matchups. I guess yeah. you could end up still fighting those guys in main events or third or three rounds, but I don't know. Pay is just so so fun to watch, and a fight with him and Hill, like oh man, that would so, be fantastic. Know, it's gonna it would be true, and and Prohaska, like no doubt about um, it. Like so, and I mean again, I don't know exactly how he'll do it light heavyweight. I don't know if like if his grappling will hold up. Um, I don't know how big of a light heavyweight he'd be, but I think um, there's reason to believe he'll be a good size light heavyweight. He's a giant middleweight. Again, he's a he's like a six six kind of six four. He's not the a, cut does not, but the cut does not seem to trouble him. No, and that, that, that's the amazing thing about it. And the guy has so much experience. Um, granted, in kickboxing and whether it be five rounders, but so many fights of experience, right? So like the guy's been there. He's done that. The nerves are not the same as it is for a guy who's who's 10 or 12 or even 15 uh, fights into his career entering the UFC. So there, And again, he's reached the peak of a sport in the past as well. There's a mindset element to it. He's training with Glover Teixeira, who can kind of fill in those gaps and show him what a just a rugged, nasty, powerful grappler can do to him. Um, and I think that's part of what's allowed him to progress as far as he has, right? The fact that he's got a really good takedown artist, 
who pressures really well, who's got nasty, nasty top uh, position jiu-jitsu, um, there's a reason he's been able to survive some of those dicey moments against Adesanya and then his UFC debut against a gentleman whose name I forget. Um, so yeah, look, uh, both interesting matchups, both both intriguing rematches, obviously, and the division hopefully can move on after these. And then we have Burns versus Masvidal. Um, you know, Burns opened up as a huge favorite. I, I think Masvidal has a much higher chance than the odds would suggest. Um, and, and, and I'm wondering if that line will move at all. But Masvidal, obviously, having been dominated by the two best fighters in the division, Burns is a step below that. Masvidal is probably two steps below that. I think Burns should be a favorite, but should should he be this big of a favorite? I, I think it's a question. It's not like Burns is lo- likely to knock him out, right? And it's not like Burns will get easy takedowns, and it's not like if Burns get takedowns that he's going to just dominate him. Uh, Masvidal has a good, pretty good get-up game, pretty good defensively against Damian Maia. We saw that he arguably won that fight against Maia. Granted, Burns basically knocked him out, but um, I, I just feel like given this stage in their careers, Burns should be a favorite. Minus 500 is crazy tall. It's just, it's just hard to know. Yeah, It's just hard to know where Masvidal is. Yeah, you know yeah, he's I, he's, I, I, he's getting older. Advice. He's crazy. There's always wild stuff going on. Yep. You don't know how hard he's training. Um, yeah, all good points. I mean, obviously ATT is to his credit, but that's a very fair point. How motivated is he? He's a good kickbar. I mean, he's a, he's a terrific kickboxer, and he like yeah. We'll see. We'll see if Burns is able to take him down and what happens. But we've se- we have seen Burns get picked apart, you know, a little bit, and we've seen Burns get hurt by guys who've got less pop than Masvidal. Yeah. Yeah, so no, no doubt about that. Um, and let's again, we everybody remembers that knockout that uh, that uh, Hooker scored over Burns, right? Like, yeah, that's not the kind of thing, uh, you know. Especially a flying knee is, is Masvidal is capable of that sort of thing. Granted, Burns is on a different level mentally and physically now. And also, I also think the Hazmat. I think that the Hazmat Hazmat Hamzat Hamzat <laughs> the Hamzat loss. Uh, it actually has seemed to like imbue and embolden Burns. He seems more confident. Positive, yeah. He seems more confident to me. He seemed very confident going to the Magni fight. His attitude seems good. I mean, I do think in a way that may, not a major star, but that was kind of a star-making performance. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I couldn't. I couldn't agree. And he's more. carrying himself like he's carrying himself more like a star. I agree. And what does that say about Kamzat? The fact that like. Burns just taking that fight. He got so much credit just for agreeing to fight Hamzat Chimaev. And then for Burns to have had a competitive fight with a man who's much, much, much less experienced with him uh, than him. Uh, for him to like be competitive in that fight, he got so much credit for it. What does that say about people's impression of Hamzat Chimaev? It's absolutely insane, especially considering that guy retired uh, was a year and a half ago, maybe uh, after having COVID. Like, like you got to wonder whether his mind frame long-term will, will stand up to all the rigors of, of this kind of situation. Once his body starts to go, will he, will he be the same guy? Because he comes up really a guy that kind of derives a lot of his success from his confidence. And once his physical traits start to go a little bit, once the division starts to get stronger overall around him, I'm, I'm very curious how he reacts. Obviously, he's, yeah. know, he's, he's waiting into territory of uh, either fighting for the number one contendership or for the title next. Um, and then we have Max. Well, he's, Hall, a, was, he's a specimen. He's a specimen. Like really, GSP no was a specimen. But the question is, like, all G, you know, GSP worked so hard, and like, I don't, I, I, I question how successful you can be over time if you're hanging out with Darren Hill all, all the time. Yeah, I, I don't know if they still are. By Darren the way. Till, rather. Yeah. Uh, also, like well, be, beating up Darren Till. Like, I don't know if that. I don't know if that necessarily, you know, like weighs negatively on you. Like, like 
most guys in, in at, at the top five, 15 or 20 can beat up Darren Till at this point. And so, like, having a training partner to beat up on, I don't know if that's necessarily going to negatively affect uh, Hamzat Shemayev a whole lot. It sounds no, like I don't buddies, mean negatively. Like I'm just saying I, it's, you, know, you don't get the sense from all the stuff that he's doing that he's got, like, a GSP, like, mentality. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I, I, I don't think he has that kind of mentality. He's not that kind of guy, but he does have a strong mind, at least while his, uh, at least while there's reason to keep his confidence. Uh, anyway, Nick, uh, the, the only other couple of things, Max Holloway, Arnold Allen, I'm, I'm intrigued and excited. Arnold Allen, Arnold Allen finally getting that kind of big step up in competition against the guy who has very few, if any, holes. And Max Holloway, uh, again, gets an opportunity to vanquish another top contender. It's kind of weird because he's the bridesmaid in this division at 145. He can't beat... Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky, right? And, and that's, at this point, it's clear, especially given how their last fight went. And so he's now put into a position where he's going to, uh, where he's going to uh, kind of turn away some of those potential title contenders. Um, and Arnold, this is a risky fight because Arnold Allen, maybe the UFC is not looking at him as a real prospect for the title, but he, they should. Like, skill-wise, he's there. Well, and Arnold, Arnold Allen could lose a, a close one here, and then he's going to be that much further away from another title shot. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is put up or shut up for Allen and because of injuries, scheduling, whatever, right? Over the last three and a half years, Gilbert Melendez, Nick Lentz, Sadiq Youssef, Dan Hooker, and uh, Calvin Cater, who, who yeah. you know, got injured in the fight. That's fine, but over three, over three and a half years, that's not, I wouldn't describe that as a star-making run. You know, yeah, he, mean, needs, he needs a signature yeah. win. I don't disagree. And obviously, Dan Hooker is as close to that as it gets. And granted, Dan Hooker on a losing streak, but it's as close to that as it gets, getting him out of there mm-hmm. in the first round. But he did get clocked by him and he did get hurt by him at one point. So, you know, he, he, he made mistakes in that fight, which is a big part of what made that fight exciting. Um, and I don't think he's going to be fighting the same way against Max Holloway. Max Holloway's not going away with a 30-punch volley. You're just going to be tired, and he's going to take over and dominate you. So, again, intrigued by that matchup uh, with how fast Arnold Allen is, with how sharp he is standing. Uh, it's not like Max Holloway's going to go for takedowns. So they're, they're likely going to keep this fight on the feet, even if Allen wants to take it to the ground. I think he'll have a very hard time. So this is going to be an exciting fight. And Arnold Allen, on paper at least, is more capable than some of the guys that uh, Max Holloway's vanquished recently. Uh, Yari Rodriguez put up a pretty good fight against Holloway, and the question is, is Holloway slipping, right? His his recent performance against Yari Rodriguez was way more competitive than expected. He lost to um, Volkanovski in kind of dominant fashion that last time out. Granted, Volkanovski's just the best of the best, but Max Holloway, like, you know, you would expect him to be at least more competitive, so there's a good chance he's slipping. He started in the UFC, I think, when he was Something like 19 years, 18 he's 30, years old. He's only 31, and he's just right, been in think about how deep into so many is. wars. Right, so many exactly. wars. And then, exactly. I mean, this division this division's stacked, right? You've got, you know, Ortega sitting back, coming off two losses, the injury TKO and the Volca fight. So you've got, you've got Josh Emmett, Yaya Rodriguez. Um, the winner of that fight is either going to fight the winner of Holloway Allen or, or Volkanovski, depending on what happens. Yep. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, the top 10. You got Tapuria hanging out there, Evluev hanging out there. Like, it's a, and then, I mean, the t- in the second tier of guys, you got the Bryce Mitchells, the Giga Chikadzes, Calvin Cater. Like, those guys are outside the top 10. Yep. Nathaniel Wood. Like, this is, you look at the top 25 in this division, and you're like, there are no easy outs. 
No, no, they're, they're really they really aren't. Certainly not in that division. Um, and then uh, Fedor Remelianenko heading into uh, his last title fight, his last fight of his career. He is retiring after this weekend, where he and Ryan Bader are headlining. And dude, Fedor, if you look at his record, man, it's pretty darn good for over the last several years. Like that that guy. Um, granted, he's not fighting. You know, he's not fighting all elite competition. Um, but if you look at his record, let me see here: one, two, three, five, seven, eight, nine, nine and two. Um, over over the last eleven fights, Nick, that's really good. And prior to that nine and two run, he had those three losses in a row, who, which were the first three legitimate losses in his career to Fabricio Verdum, Antonio Silva, and Dan Henderson. And I was there for that Antonio Silva uh, strike force card live back in two thousand eleven. Um, Nick, he he beat Jeff Munson, Satoshi Ishii, Pedro Hizo, um, Fabricio Maldonado. Although he should have absolutely lost that fight, Frank Mir he beat Chael Sonnen, Quentin Jackson, Tim Johnson. These are not, you know, these are not like heavyweights you've never heard of these are decent decent opposition um i know some of them are way past their prime i know some of them were never truly at the top but this is like these are names that are well known who have a lot of experience who have a lot of skill that he's getting the fuck out of there and let me look at it here almost all of them in the first round besides uh, besides jeff munson and fabio maldonado which went to decision um so he's either basically starching you in the first round or he's getting starched in the first round like he's still super fast obviously his chin is not what it used to be and that's why ryan bader was able to get him out of there back in 2019 uh it's funny uh, exactly three years ago they fought um uh, like in, on january 26th so it's super close to three years to the date as he goes for a title one last time against bader and here's the thing can fader land a bomb in the first round and hurt bader and finish him absolutely can Bader do the out, uh, do it the other way around? Yeah, we've seen that Absolutely. before as well. Both guys, uh, both guys are kind of glass cannons at this point. Although Bader is a lot more skilled, he's closer to his prime. Um, he's not quite as fast, but he's shown that he can land a bomb on Fedor. So, look, I, I think uh, on paper it, it could edge either way. I'm going to give Ryan Bader the edge there, but listen, if Fedor is to knock out Ryan Bader, and I think it'll be okay if Ryan Bader loses. It's not like he's truly at the top of his game. It's not like he's truly like like elite, elite, elite. That like we need. Fedor to retire and give him a win so that Ryan Bader could move on with his career. I'd be okay with Fedor getting this one last win, um, making a 10 and 2 in his last 12, which would be really, really impressive and kind of moving Yeah, Bader's no times. Bader's no spring chicken. You know, he's, he's been around. And like for a tough for a tough guy, he's had one of the better careers. Um yeah, I, I agree. I, I think like he's shown that he's not truly elite. And if you're not truly elite, but you're a runger or rung and a half below. You can be champion in Bellator, and he's shown that being a uh, one point a double champion in Bellator. But eventually, the cream rises to the top, and and you know some of those better guys. The are, cream are, rises to the top. That's why I don't even know what that fucking means. Is it just like, is this just like a discussion on gravity, or the fact that like that fat separates from water? And that's the macho man. Ooh, yeah, the cream. <laughs> that's great, man. That's a good macho man. Have you seen so anyway. that video? Have you have you seen that video? Uh, I'm sure. Oh, uh, it's one of the. One of the great promos of all time, Macho Man Randy Savage, just starts improvising with little uh, half-and-half containers from the uh, coffee. And he's like, oh, yeah, the cream will rise. And he, like, he keeps taking him out of his pocket. Like, he has an endless supply of dairy creamer. It's That's very hysterical. weird. That is, that is, I, I, I would like. It sounds kind of familiar. It's probably been many, many years since I've seen that clip. But I have seen it, but I, I wouldn't mind watching a little Macho Man Randy Savage. Um, may he rest in peace, Nikolai. Uh, we have basically we're, we're going to talk a little bit about UFC. Well, I want to ask you one question first. Yes. I knew we we're going to get into this. Card. Like, do you agree? With, I mean, is it clear that Fe, that Fedor has had and he's got long arms and incredible power? Yeah, Fedor is a sportsman. He does not seem to ever have applied. To like modern, like modern MMA practices and like fitness, right? Fedor's frame and build is that of a middleweight or light heavyweight, correct? 
Um, if you look at him in his prime, light heavyweight probably. Yeah. Mm. Maybe light heavy. Maybe light heavyweight. If you look at him, you look at him in his prime. Um, like he looked, yeah, he had some body fat always, but he looked jacked under that body fat. If you look at him back in the day when he beat Nogueira, when he beat Krokop, that man should not have tried to make light heavyweight. Like that wouldn't have been healthy. Um, like he didn't need to. Also, heavyweight's just a lower level overall division. Although I know, like obviously with Krokops and Nogueras and, and that sort of thing, there, there was some there was some really elite competition back in the day um, for him, but. You know, should he have made light heavyweight? No, we've learned that, if anything, you should not starve yourself and cut all that weight because it's going to affect your ability to take a shot. It's going to affect your conditioning. Um, so I would say no. I, I think he did okay. the right thing and sticking a heavyweight. Look at his fucking record, dude. He's getting crazy. No, I know. Well, against, as against, I just mean in ter- – but he – when he's come up against, like, some of the, like – Bigfoot Silva? Yeah, that's a, it's a monster of a human being who has giantism. Um, outside of that, was there anybody that really uh, – Brett Rogers, who's not, like, not elite by any means – but as serious yeah. power, Brett Rogers, he got out of there. Like he got, a, he got, a, he got some big. He was guys in out trouble. Though. He was in trouble in that fight. He was in trouble in the Arlovsky yeah, fight. It's true. Yeah, he, he was. He was starting to show uh, by that point in his career. You're right. He was starting to show that like he's not quite where he was prior to that. But if you look at, um, if you look at his losses, right? Dan Henderson, not the biggest guy in the world. Antonio Silva is a big guy. Fabricio Verdum is a tall guy, but he's he's like what, a 240 pounder for the majority of his career. He's not. A, he's not a big uh, uh, heavyweight. Matt Mitrione is, you know, not a huge heavyweight huge. either. There's maybe 250. He's a, Matt, is he? Mitrion's a pretty big guy. Yeah, so um, I think he's around 6'3". Let me see. He is 6'3". Yeah, he's a, he's a fairly big guy, but what size the issue there? No, it was just Mitrion is fast and hits hard. Um, and that's what fucked with Fedor a minute into their fight. Ryan Bader's a light heavyweight. Like, I don't think size was ever the issue for the guy. He he beat Giant Monster. He beat Tim Sylvia, um, who was pretty close to his uh, prime at the time. Um, he beat, uh, who was that giant Hungman Choi, I think? Was that his name? Uh, yeah. that, that giant individual. Like, granted, not a guy with a whole lot of actual, uh, actual MMA skills. But, you know, I don't think size was ever the issue for him. I think at some point uh, things caught up to him. And clearly fast, powerful guys seem to be his, his kryptonite. And if you look at the guys that he's lost to, they tended to be fast, powerful guys. Besides Bigfoot Silva, of course, who just kind of sat on top of him. Um, but look, uh, the, the man's put together an incredible legacy. I think like his association with the Russian government and all that like doesn't look good from our perspective as Americans. But you know what the fuck's he gonna do? Like he's 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 a legend in Russia, and he's obviously gonna be invited by shit uh, to, to you know he's gonna be given honorary titles and and positions he, and all of that. Yeah, yeah, I give him a little more. Leeway just because like, he is he is a sportsman and yep. he's a national sportsman and he's yep. been he's been that during more you know moderate times politically and he's been that you know he's he, I wouldn't describe Fe, uh, Fedor as outspoken. No, definitely not. It's far from it. Um, so Nick, let's get into uh, quickly. Let's get into UFC 283. We can discuss a couple things, and then we can break down the, just the main card fights and maybe one more uh, fight on this upcoming UFC card filled with a bunch of names that we've never heard of. Jamal Hill, Glover Teixeira, Glover Teixeira, man, like he did his damnedest, and I think you and I expected a better performance from him. But I, I think we underestimated Jamal Hill. Kid's got serious potential. He's got staying power. What he showed in that Thiago Santos fight was that like. He's not ready for a serious five-round fight. And really what that served for him was, um, because Thiago Santos was also not really anywhere close to his prime, it served as kind of like a learning lesson for him. And clearly, even on shorter notice, he went into this Glover Teixeira bout, and he fucking put it on Glover, man. It was it was a pretty one-sided fight. Glover had a couple of moments that, that had his fans get hopeful, including myself. But 
but it was a pretty one-sided fight, man. He was able to avoid almost all takedowns, and when he was on his back, he got up to his feet. And when he was standing, he employed that classic southpaw crow cop game. Body kicks, head kicks, body kicks, head kicks. You don't know which one is coming. You're taking a liver shot or you're taking a head shot. Uh, and several times he hurt Glover Teixeira with those head kicks. Could have hurt him to the body. Glover would never show it. Um, but, you know, he, he just was a faster, bigger, better fighter here. We've seen Glover lose fights like this back in the day to to uh, guys like Alexander Gustafsson, a guy that was able to put a war of attrition on him and, and again, employed a lot of those uppercuts. It's part of the reason, I think, why um, Jamal Hill stayed in orthodox for the, a good portion of this fight is because he knows that right uppercut is going to work really well against Teixeira, and it's going to reduce Teixeira's ability to land that right or overhand right on an orthodox uh, opponent versus a southpaw opponent but when he was southpaw he was firing that kick consistently man he he did a really solid job i think they put together a great game plan i'm intrigued by you know the prospect of seeing him fight prochaska and i hope that's the next matchup um this anthony smith talk is ridiculous like like why the fuck is anthony smith getting a title like why the fuck is that man getting a title shot he has no business getting a title. this is ridiculous uh so jamal hill uh on paper at least number one light heavyweight on the planet i think him and prochaska have to decide whether that's really the case yeah, I don't get the Smith thing either. He's a, I mean, he's he's got, you know, he's a gatekeeper, talented guy on yeah. the outs on the outside of the. And he didn't even make weight as a replacement eight. for this matchup. Like, yeah, you get that kind of, yeah, weird. Well, you got you've got Pajowska, you've got Anklaev, you've got Paheya. Like those are yep. all, you know, those are all very interesting fights for Hill, um, who could be a marketable guy. He just. He's good. He's good, and he's disciplined, and he's more. He was more technical in this fight. Um, I think he. It was a, he. Did, the moment did not get to him. He no, owned, he owned really the is. moment, and he took it to Glover. There's not much else you can say. I agree, especially in Brazil, where the crowd is literally chanting for you to die in that cage. Like like he showed some serious maturity. Um, stayed calm through those stressful moments where Glover's on top of you in half guard or, or where I think Glover was a mount at one point, if I'm not mistaken. He was a mount. Like, the guy stayed super calm and got out of there every time, man. So, like, we need to give him a lot more credit. And to be honest, there's a chance that he's the best light heavyweight on the planet. There's a chance that he beats Prochaska, given how competitive that Prochaska-Glover fight was, given that Glover was winning the fight until basically a minute left into that five-rounder. So, very intrigued by, uh, to, to see the Prochaska-Jamal Hill matchup, man. This is going to, I mean, there's no chance that's not going to be exciting. So, I hope that's the next one. I hope Prochaska really can like as close to fully recover as humanly possible by this summer because Jamal Hill's open to waiting and kind of waiting on confirmation by April to see if Prochaska's going to be able to make it by uh, mid to late Yeah, Petra- I mean, Petrovska's going to have to really work on his defense if he wants to be successful in that fight. Uh, I, I agree. I, and I agree. And I'm also curious how uh, Hill is going to take Prochaska's just constant aggression because Prochaska's not as small as Glover, so he's going to reach him when he throws his bombs. They're both going to reach each other. Um, and if you, if you think about it, even Jamal Hill's knockout over uh, over Johnny Walker, right? Both guys clocked each other at the same exact moment, except uh, Jamal Hill's, you know, just was a more powerful shot. So, like, he is not unhittable um, against, like, a, fe- a fellow young guy, fellow striker. And it's not like Jamal Hill's likely to go for get takedowns in that Prochaska fight. So, again, a very, very intriguing matchup. And I'm, and I'm glad that the young gun came out of this. It would have sucked for the division, honestly, if Glover won the title and then retired. Like, even though we all know Prochaska beat him, like, it would have been a weird dynamic. Why do we, uh, why do we keep having all these... Uh, uh, if, Glover, if Glover won, he was going to fight Prochaska again. That, you know, that was it. I think, now you're, that's I think not... you're probably right. No, that's a fair point. He, he wouldn't necessarily have retired had he, uh, had he uh, won this matchup. So outside of that, Brandon Moreno, man, just ran through Davison Figueredo. I talked about how Davison, even though his weight looked in check and he, he seemed like it wasn't a terrible weight cut, his strength and conditioning program looked good on the embedded series. But 
what seems to me like the stuff that Brandon Moreno tried in his last fight against Figueredo, basically trying to slip and rip, right? Like waiting for Figueredo to throw something, um, slip it out of the way, and then and then countering with combos. He wasn't ready to truly employ that game plan last time. He was ready for it this time, and it worked so, so well. Uh, Brandon Moreno just put serious pressure on him. We, we saw that whoever is moving forward in their matchups so far, all four of their matchups, whoever's moving forward is having success. Brandon Moreno made sure he was moving forward, and Figueredo was not able to do that. Um, on top of that, Figueredo training with what looked like a mediocre team. He didn't train a fight ready, which uh, is the team that helped him get ready to actually beat Moreno the one time he got a win over him. Right? He wasn't training a fight ready. He was training in Brazil. And I didn't trust in, in their ability to, 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 uh, to put together the right game plan for him, to actually truly get him ready with good training partners. His brother seemed to be one of his main training partners, and that guy's not even close to Brandon Moreno's level. So Brandon Moreno, man, looks spectacular. I'm glad he got this win, especially with Figueredo again. Moving up to 135 after this, we would have had another vacant title if Figueredo uh, won that fight. And, dude, Figueredo's chances at 135 are not nearly, not nearly as good um, as they are at 125. Not even remotely close. He's not going to be the biggest guy. He's not going to be the hardest hitter. Um, He's not going to be the best strategic guy. His cardio is not going to stand up well. He's been uh, been relatively easy to take down against much smaller guys at, at, at times throughout his career. I think that's he's kind of old for the weight class. You're right. Him being 35, and you brought that up a couple of weeks ago too in our last episode. At 125 or 135, being 35 years old, man, it is not a great sign if you're facing elite competition. If you're facing underdeveloped prospects, it's a different story. But uh, but yeah, man, I think Brandon Moreno, it's onwards and upwards, and he's likely going to fight. Um, the name of that gentleman escapes me, as at least one name often does during these uh, during these podcasts. It, w- uh, it was uh, Pantoja who beat him twice, once on Tough, once on The Ultimate Fighter. And I remember watching that fight thinking, wow, like Moreno was pretty competitive. He did a really good job. I think I was in Thailand watching that fight. Um, and then uh, and then he beat he lost to Pantoja by decision. And that was the last man to beat him outside of Davis and Figueredo uh, since, uh, since Sergio Pettis back in 2017. So intriguing uh, rematch there. And I think this would be a good one for Moreno to kind of solidify his legacy. I think, I think I, I figure his chances, despite the two prior losses, his chances against Pantoja are pretty good. I think so too. And, and for, for Figueredo, like, I think the right way to get him into 135 is to have him fight Dominic Cruz. Uh yeah, I'm 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 open to that. I, I think I think it's a risky matchup for Figueroa. You would think they would give him a slightly softer ball, uh, maybe a no name that's not quite as high level. But yeah, I'm, I'm I don't I'm, think you I'm, can. I don't think you I don't think you can with the fight. How, how about maybe Cody Stamen, somebody who's not super dangerous but but pretty no, good, pretty I, solid. I think you I think you need Figueroa. If Figueroa is debuting in that weight class, I think it's a, I think it's a main event on a. Uh, you know, on, on a, a fight night card. I could see it. Yeah. yeah. I hope I hope it's a five rounder. That would be great. Um, and then we had uh, Gilbert Burns, Neil Magny. I expected Gilbert Burns to dominate. You thought there might be an opportunity, uh, a three point opportunity, but you still edged Gilbert Burns. Um, I, I just think like Neil Magny's against elite grapplers, he does not yep. do well. Gilbert Burns ran through him. Jessica Andrade, Lauren Murphy. Fight probably should have been stopped because Lauren Murphy didn't have a chance, and that was pretty clear uh, by midway through that fight. Jessica Andrade's way faster, just putting bombs on her. Yeah, it's it's just fortunate for Lauren Murphy that Jessica Andrade is not just a monster, monster hitter at 125. She probably is at 115. Uh, Johnny Walker, Paul Craig. I mean, we knew anything could happen. Either a first round knockout or first out submission was not out of the question. Mauricio Hua, uh, you know, had a decent moment or two against Ihor Pretoria, but you know, hard to hard to trust in him to get a win. And he retired and and walked off on his own. Uh, anything else? Oh, the Bonfim brothers did look spectacular. I thought that uh, particularly. They sure did. 
Yeah, man, just really, really impressive stuff for a UFC debut, particularly by Ismail Bonfim, who just looked spectacular everywhere. His ground game, his wrestling, his stand-up against Terrence McKinney. He just pieced him up. Terrence McKinney looks really good against everyone in the first round. He did not look good against Ismail Bonfim, who finished him in the second. Um, so let me then, ask you a question about that fight. McKinney, yeah. Mc, was did McKinney's mouthpiece not fit? Because dude had his mouth open the entire fight. The ent- um, and he lost his mouthpiece a couple of times. And I'm watching him, and I'm like, dude, you got to close your mouth because you get tagged with your like that. And it, he couldn't have been ga- he couldn't have been gassed at that point. It was like right from the beginning. Well, that's the thing is that Terrence McGinney's known for having about three minutes of cardio, and he was getting pieced up from moment one in this fight. So, do I believe he could have been gassed? Absolutely. I, I think that's entirely huh. possible. I also think like the guy doesn't have a whole lot of heart. Like he's not a guy who comes back from adversity ever. He's a guy that just puts it on you, and if you can't take it, he'll win. If you can take it and you can make it through a few minutes, he's going to lose. In this case, he didn't even get the chance to put it on him. He was just taking damage right away. And I think like he realized he was, get, he was, he was leagues below Ismail Bonfim, who's crazy, making his UFC debut. Again, a record of 18-3 um, and three going into his UFC debut, man. That's proper fucking experience this guy got on the Brazilian circuit. And he beat some pretty decent opposition on the way up. It wasn't like a bunch of, uh, a bunch of tomato cans, right? And so that helps a lot too. Terrence McKinney, again, uh, he's not going to beat these like really, really skilled uh, experienced guys. He's going to be, you know, bottom of the rung UFC. Uh, yeah, I guess fighters. he almost beat Drew. He almost beat Drew Dober, and that got a lot of people, including me, excited. Well, well, that's the thing is again, it's just that those first five minutes, Drew Dober is tough enough to make it through five minutes. We've seen him do it many times, right? That's kind of a signature of his at this point uh, against a certain level of opposition. Terrence beginning again, dangerous early, good wrestling, uh, has serious power, but not a whole lot else to his game. And Ismail Bonfim was actually better standing. Uh, was the better wrestler, man, which is like yeah. really pretty surprising. Really, really good stuff by, by, by Bonfim. I, I think that guy's legit. And I think Jelton Almeida, like as he makes his way to the very top of the heavyweight division, he's going to have a lot of trouble, man. Like just, just head down takedowns are not going to work the same way. I know he's powerful, but what's his cardio like long term? What's he like if he has to take punishment and come back? Uh, his stand-up does not look good at all. He got clocked pretty hard by Shamil in the, in the couple of moments. In the very early, up. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like, guy's got a good chance. He's an incredible athlete. He's saying the right things about how much work he has to do, but he's not really testing out any of those other skills, right? We saw Khabib uh, against, the, like, somebody like Ili Quinta, who, like, Khabib probably could, t- could have taken him down much more than he did, but he used his jab. He, like, practiced a new skill. He practiced his boxing in that fight. Jelton Almeida needs to do that against this level of opposition. Maybe Shamil is not the perfect opponent to start doing that against, but he didn't do that against the other kind of tomato cans that he's fought. And Shamil is not really a tomato can, don't get me wrong, but like Jelton needs to exercise his other skills and needs to work on his fucking stand-up. Um, and, and like maybe even put himself in a position where he might have to face some adversity and work through it because he's not going to be ready for those top guys as we saw with somebody like Romanov. Uh, but Nick... We've got literally about 10 minutes, maybe less, maybe more like five minutes to break down this UFC fight night. We're only going to go over basically the main card and the Jun Young Park fight. Um, I believe based on last week, which one of us had the first pick? Let me quickly see here. Uh, it looks like I had the Almeida pick, so you get the first pick this week, buddy. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to I'm gonna pick the big boys first. Listen, I like I like Blagoy, uh Ivanov. He's come back from... You know, he's come back from awesome stuff. Uh, he had some good fights earlier in his UFC run. He had those wins over a younger Tai Tuivasa um, and, you know, and Ben Rothwell. And he had a pretty cool war of attrition with JDS. But I ju- he's looked older and slower. Um, he's durable still, but he's looked older and slower in all of his fights. And Marcin Tabura uh, continues to be the little engine that could. If Marcin Tabura can deal with the athleticism... Um, 
and just like raw youth and power of an Alexander Romanov, I don't think uh, Blagoy Ivanov is going to have anything for him. Yes, Ivanov is crafty, um, and he's got some sneaky shots, but he's not hes not going to have that oh-shit power that has caused Tabura problems, and I think Tabura is going to have quite a substantial size advantage. Um, so I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Tabura here. I think I just don't see a lot of paths to victory uh, for Blagoy. I absolutely see a path for victory for Blagoy. It's going to be a close decision, and it, it's going to be debatable as to who deserves this fight. Richie Tabura wins fights against guys who tend to get tired over the course of the fight. Right? He, uh, Greg Hardy, Walt Harris. Um, Sergei, Sergei Spivak much earlier in his career, right? Alexander Romanov. What do all these guys have in common? They're really good early, and then they start to fall apart. Although, again, Sergei, this new version of him, has shown better elements than that. He's developed quite a bit, right? Like, this is not the kind of guy that's going to fall apart over the course of the fight, but you're right that Blagoy has not been looking that great lately. He had a much more competitive fight with uh, Mar- uh, Marcos de Rogueri de Lima than we expected. I think you actually picked de Lima in that matchup, and it was a super close one. Um, he was super low output. It could have gone either way. Augusto Sakai, he lost a split decision to. Super close, could have gone either way. Derek Lewis, he lost a split decision to. Again, could have easily gone either way. Taitui Vasa, he beat. Ben Rothwell, he beat. These are all decisions. These are all competitive decisions. He seems to be slowing down. He seems to be having less output nowadays. I'm going to agree with you on Taibura, but very little confidence. I'm actually rather surprised that you picked this as the very first fight. Heavyweights are just so damn hard to trust. My first pick is I going seem to, to be... I seem to pick them pretty well, though. I, mean, I, don't, I feel like I don't get a lot of heavyweight fights wrong. You you might you might be right, um, but but let's see. Well, again, this one I get a lot of a, fights wrong. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, th- this one to me is a fifty fifty fight. So so uh, for that reason, I wouldn't have picked it this early. But you have just as much of a chance, I think, in my opinion, at least, of getting it right as you do of getting it wrong, uh, because it, it like Brogo Ivanov is not necessarily slow, but he seems to be slowing down. His output is low. Uh, he seems like the the wear and tear, the getting stabbed, competing for so many years in sambo, competing for so many years in MMA. I think it's starting to have an effect on him and. Martin Tabura is no spring chicken either, but uh, but he, he's you know close to the top of his game, uh, about as good as he's ever going to be, I think. Uh, next matchup, and again, there's not a whole lot of <coughs> excuse me, not a whole lot of great uh, kind of matchups to choose from here. I think I'm going to go ahead and take uh, Jun Young Park to beat Dennis uh, Tuliulin. Um, I just feel like Dennis Tuliulin, who you know didn't look that great in the Contender Series, and then beat Jamie Pickett, who's you know bottom of the rung um, middleweight. I think Jun Young Park, even though he's a smaller guy here. He has the wrestling, he has the jab, he has the striking. I have concerns about his ability to take major, major bombs since he's been hurt, you know, once or twice against guys like Rodriguez. But uh, I, I think Junior Park should have the edge against Tulian, who's not quite ready for this UFC level. He might have some potential, this guy, if he develops further. But I just, I just think Junior Park has uh, the, the, the perseverance. He's able to come back from tough moments. He's got the wrestling, and he's got that piston jab. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I agree with you on the pick. I'm a big... Big fan. Um, the Iron undersized. Turtleneck. The undersized he may, uh, he may, he may be. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of interesting dogs. I'm just questioning if I'm going to take one. Um, I think I'm gonna. Yeah, I don't. I don't trust the dog here. I think. Um, I think Dalen Jung is is just a. I think he's going to be able to weather whatever Devin Clark does, and that Devin Clark still makes a few too many mistakes. And I don't, you know, even though I think Jacoby, who put down Dalen Jung like fairly recently, um, I think he's a much much better uh, MMA striker than Devin Clark is. Um, so I see I see Dalen Young winning 
winning a pretty clear decision here. And I see he could he could potentially get Clark out of there because once things start to go downhill for Clark, they seem to go downhill pretty quickly. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the favorite uh, Da Eun Jung, even though that that plus two hundred is smiling at me. Yeah, I mean, Devin Clark's path to victory are the, to either hold Doan Jung against the fence and hope that that control is weighted over damage, which it has not been lately, or it's to land a bomb because Doan Jung is coming from a knockout loss, uh, coming back from a knockout loss, and Devin Clark hits pretty hard considering he's pretty shitty everywhere. Doesn't have a lot of heart, Devin Clark. He, he doesn't have great cardio. He's able to beat really, really bottom-of-the-rung opponents. Doesn't really beat this level of opposition, especially Doan Jung, who's going to be the bigger man. He's going to be the better striker. He's, he's going to hit about as hard, but much more technical. He's going to be the better Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu fighter as well here. So unless uh, Devin Clark's just able to spam takedowns or hold him up against the fence or get very fortunate with a one shot, uh, I got to go with the more skilled guy. So I agree with you on the pick. My next pick is going to be in the... You know what, Nick? I'm going to go ahead and dive into a, to a um, the... Yasuka Kinoshita versus Adam Fugit matchup. Um, Yasuka is, he's athletic, he's fast, he's really good striking. He got this uh, beautiful kind of slip rep uh, knockout on Contender Series against a much, much taller opponent, but also an opponent that only has about six fights to his record. He is, I believe, uh, six and one or five and one, and that one loss was a disqualification because he held the cage. A lot of these, um, a lot of these fighters from Japan, from uh, from Korea, they don't tend to fight in a cage. They don't tend to have experience in a cage. They don't tend to have cages in their gyms. So they're not super experienced with that element of it. And and I can see that being a factor uh, here in some of these matchups. Adam Fugit is, he's slower, right? But he's taller. He's got more reach. He's 34 years old to, uh, to Kinoshita's 22 years old. So there's a big, like, maturity gap here. Um, he showed some serious composure in his matchup against Michael Morales, which he took on short notice. And honestly, made a pretty good accounting of himself. Michael Morales was supposed to run through this dude at like minus 700 favorite, right? And Fugit made it a pretty competitive fight before eventually like the short notice thing uh, hurt him and and he ended up uh, succumbing to a third round knockout. But even prior to that, like he was getting hit hard and he just came back with offense of his, of his own. He got a pretty clean takedown in the first round. Uh, showed decent control, but didn't do a whole lot with it. I think that like Adam Fugit, a plus 270 against a 22-year-old kid who's never faced truly like good competition. Adam Fugit, some of the elements that he showed even in that loss. I'm going to take a ride on him. I'm going to pick him for three points, a plus 270. Um... Like, I, I'm giving him the ever so slightest edge. Like, the odds here should be maybe minus 150 for Kinoshita, but it's minus 325. So I see this as an opportunity, um, even though, again, Adam is slower and he could get outstruck and he is coming off a knockout loss and he's facing a striker here. I'm going to take this guy because I think he could potentially spam takedowns and he's shown that he's tough enough to come back and do some things. Uh, he's also got a decent reach and size advantage in this one. Wow, Kinoshita. It's, um, that was... Okay. <laughs> uh... Are you agreeing or disagreeing with this pick? Uh, I think it's. I mean, listen. I think it's a. I think it's an underdog pick, right? Like, I. I get what you're saying. I hope it doesn't happen. <laughs> All right, <fair> <laughs> uh, for the, from a points perspective, I'm gonna go with an underdog, but it's only a two pointer. Um, listen, Kyle Nelson is no world beater. He's not. Ha- he's really not UFC level uh, fighter. His UFC career hasn't been great, but he's going up against Duho Choi, who hasn't fought in the UFC in three and a half, like. You know, three and a quarter years, and before that, three and a quarter years lost a, a a decision that probably took years off of his life to Cub Swanson, and was subsequently knocked out by Air Jordan and um, Jeremy Stevens. Okay, so three really really hard fights with definite brain damage, and then he's gone for three years to um, you know for military service. We just saw after a two year layoff. 
um, Jimmy Flick come back. And it's like, he's not going in there against a really tough guy, but Choi wasn't looking great before he left, and it's been over three years. Zombie looked okay when he came back, but his, I think he's a different level fighter. I I think there's... I'll, I'll take the rider on on Nelson because even though he's a bo- like borderline, like very, very lowest end of the UFC, we've got no proof that Duho Choi has any business back in the sport. So we'll see. Um, and it's a bit, you know, it's a bit of a gamble. I'm just like three and a half years and in, in, in the time or three and a quarter year and like in three extremely difficult like uh, fights with lots of brain concussions before that. I just don't know what this guy's going to look like. Yeah, so, it's, 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 it's tricky because uh, Korean Superboy got three knockouts in the UFC, uh, you know, upon his debut, all first round knockouts, right? And then he faced Cub Swanson, had a really good first round, and then Cub Swanson's craft and veteranship took over in the second half of the fight. Cub Swanson pieced him up, even though it was super exciting back and forth war. Jeremy Stevens, he looked really good in the first round. Jeremy Stevens knocked him out in the second round. Charles Jordan, he looked good in the first round, uh, got knocked down late in the first round, and then got taken out of there in the second round it seems like it seems like there's an issue one with cardio and two with the ability to actually like fight through and come back uh from adversity now he's been off for a few years he was a really young kid uh his last stint in the ufc and he's been off for a few years i believe on military service uh in in south korea and you know training with somebody like korean zombie like on paper at least there's reason to believe that he can be developed into a good fighter that he can work on his cardio he can work on his mindset but he's facing Kyle Nelson here, who also has the same issue. He looks good in the first round and then falls apart shortly after that in most cases. Now, he showed an improvement in the Jay Herbert bout where he actually paced himself. But for that reason, he didn't look great in the first round. It was a competitive fight that could have gone either way, to be fair. But he looked great in the first round. He looked okay um, and like looked kind of okay throughout the fight. And he didn't have a lot of those big moments that he had early on against other guys like Billy Quarantillo, Matt Sales, and Diego Ferreira. Like, Diego Ferreira, he looked pretty good against early on. Tagged them once or twice before Ferreira kind of just pressured him and took over. So both guys are known for having good first rounds and then falling apart. Kyle Nelson's been working on that. But he's also, like, he fought Jay Herbert at 155, and he's a big 145-er. Coming back to 145 in this case, could that be a part of the issue where he looked a little better in the gas tank against Jay Herbert and that he didn't have to cut as much weight? This fight's back at 145. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to edge Duho Choi because I think he's going to have enough moments early. He's like explosive. He throws all power shots. He needs to establish a jab, man. He needs to he needs to learn how to uh, how to not only slip but also block and make sure there's like backup defense to some of the shit that he does because he gets caught because he's willing to just go wild in there and just go to war. Um, Kyle Nelson, I look. Does he have the skills to potentially win this fight? He could, uh, but I'm going to go with Duho Choi, so I, who I think will look good in the first round, and the second and third round should be very competitive. I'm going to pick the guy who's going to have at least one clear cut round uh, in this one. Um, and then the the final fight that we're going to choose from, obviously, is, uh, is the main event between Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak. See, this is where a heavyweight fight should be picnic. Late, late as hell. Um, Derek Lewis plus one ninety five. Sergey Spivak minus two thirty. Derek Lewis obviously is not on a good streak in his career. He went from like being the kind of underdog that that could that that could get some of these big uh, big wins over guys like Curtis Blades, who he he knocked out after having a really rough first round. Who was a big underdog against uh, guys like uh, uh, you know guys like Alexander Volkov, who he came back against after looking bad. Francis Ngannou, who got a he got a you know pretty 
pretty tepid decision over. Martin Terboro, he came back and knocked him out after looking rough uh, early. Travis Brown was roughing him up before he came back and knocked him out. Shamil Abdurahimov was roughing up Derek Lewis before Derek Lewis came back and knocked him out. So does he have the ability to do this against somebody who's not going to have the wherewithal to, to stick all the way through? Yes. Does he have the ability to do this against somebody who doesn't have the cardio to keep getting takedowns on him? Yes, because I think that's part of what allows Derek Lewis to win a lot of these fights is that guys take him down. He's a giant monster of a man, and Derek Lewis is a pretty good get-up game. It's very simple. He simply just gets to the side and stands up. Like, he's a giant man, so it's hard to actually hold his back. Now, he had to pull out of the fight against uh, Spivak uh, back in November because he had COVID, and apparently he had, like, a three-week bout of COVID, and it was rough on him. And that was only a couple of months ago, uh, three, less than three months, uh, to be fair. And by the way, the UFC saying that uh, Derek Lewis uh, was sick for a non-COVID-related thing was literally the opposite of what the truth is. So we should just keep that in mind. Whatever the UFC says, assume the opposite is the truth. Um, I think that uh, Sergei Spivak has really developed his game over the course of his UFC career. He's actually on a winning streak. He's actually been looking much better. He's training with a good team in Extreme Couture. It sounds like he's a great teammate. It sounds like he's a workhorse in there uh, training with guys like... Uh, like um, uh, Roman the leads and, and the such right some of the bigger guys in that in that gym um, and he's coming off of a knockout win over Augustus Akai a knockout win over Greg Hardy in the first round mind you where Greg Hardy tends to look good early right so he, he got him out of there pretty cleanly pretty early yes Tom Aspinall got him out of there yes Walt Harris got him out of there in the first round so does Derek Lewis have the potential to get a first round knockout he does but with Spivak's uh, judo takedowns, with Spivak's ground game, which is really good, always has been, with Spivak's developing jab and boxing game overall, the fact that he trains with a really good team now in the States rather than back in Russia, I'm going to take Spivak here. I realize that Derek Lewis can either knock him out early or have a comeback late in the fight, and I know Derek Lewis is looking slim, um, slimmer than ever, and he seems to be taking this camp seriously, but he's looked like he's given up the last couple of bouts that he's been in, like like that that fight against, uh, uh, against Taitu Ivasa. It looked to me like like at some point Derek Lewis just didn't want to do it anymore, and then he like almost of his own accord just dropped to the floor and 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 almost pretended to be knocked out. That's what it looked like. I could be wrong, but that's really what it looked like to me, man. The way that he lost to Cyril Gaon, it didn't look like he he was really getting overwhelmed to that point where he was he was getting getting hit with rough shots. Cyril Gaon's not a heavy hitter, but he succumbed to that in that bout because he thought he had no chance. He doesn't have the heart that he used to. He doesn't have the will that he used to. And I think for that reason, Sergey Spivak, who's Seems to be in his prime. It seems to be the best uh, that he's ever been. I'm gonna I'm gonna vote on the guy that's on a streak that's got the momentum and that is uh, that is relatively young versus a guy who is uh, granted a heavyweight. Derek Lewis at 37 is not the worst thing on paper. Derek Lewis is performing like a 37 year old at at 185 pounds. That age is really seeming to have an effect on him. Yeah. <coughs> I'm with you, but at the odds, you know, I wouldn't mind putting a couple bucks down that he's able to start Spivak. Um, yeah, I wonder what Derek Lewis by knockout, what that prop would be. Um, Derek Lewis by knockout in the first is probably, I mean, look it up. My guess, my guess would be it's something like, uh, like plus 230. So plus 265 uh, is the best line you can get. Plus 240 average for Derek Lewis by knockout, oh, was, which is... That hey, that hey, I would like you to give me an, give us a second, give me some props as a handicapper because I I just like guessed what those wait, odds wait, would be. Wait, 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 wait. You said I said you plus two thirty. You said Derek Lewis plus two thirty by, by knockout. You said Derek Lewis by first round knockout. First round knockout is going to be way better odds on. on oh, Derek that's knockout. That's knockout in general. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so let me let me quickly see. Okay, by first round a, knockout is probably like plus four eighty. Plus eight hundred, Nikolai. That, those are like, uh, and honestly, not a not a terrible bet to like again throw away like 
twenty five bucks, bucks on it and, 20, and yeah. make and make a couple of hundred. Like it's it's not it's not a terrible idea to to make that bet as long as you're you're making some smart bets outside of that. I do think Adam Fugita's worth a bit of an underdog play, but but uh, when it comes to actual bets, Daun Junga, I would I would invest into. I don't think the odds are that crazy. Um, I would invest into uh, Jungyong Park. And then we have a lot of these like Road to the UFC guys, um, where apparently some reality TV series that that the UFC hosted, where a lot of these guys competed in a tournament style, and that's what's going to make up the majority of the undercard. From what I understand, a lot of these guys are pretty exciting, so it's going to make for for a fun fight night. It's just not a lot of names that we're familiar with, and uh, like it seems like there are some prospects. And honestly, those prospects include uh, Yusaku Kinoshita, who's fighting Adam Fugit. It's just that those odds you got to go with the the underdog, who's like more of the veteran, who who has more potentially more ways to win against the more athletic young prospects. So it should be a relatively exciting uh, exciting fight night, man. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by it. Um, when it comes to bets, I, I would consider that Derek Lewis play um, either uh, probably by f- – it's hard to say first-round knockout because Derek Lewis, you know, tends not to just starch people out of there. Um, he does sometimes, but um, he tends not to. It, it's it's worth putting 25 bucks on that, but I, I would put uh, some money on Sergey Spivak, some money on uh, Junior Park, and a little bit uh, on um, – on uh, Daun Jung, who who I think are are you know fairly fairly decently safe investments, and probably one of them will end up losing, and you should still end up ahead. Yeah, so that'll that'll be you know that'll wrap it up for this show. Kind of a mild card before we've got this super fight with Volka uh, Volkanovski and Makhachev. Uh, well, that's right next the, weekend. That's crazy. right around the corner. I know, and the under the the underneath fight is Yaya Rodriguez Josh Emmett, which I wish was five rounds, but it's due to be a banger. Um, is it five rounds, actually? I, I doubt it, man. Let me... Let it me might see. be. Inter- if, if oh, it's an it? interim title shot. Yes, let's go. Oh, that's great. Round, <coughs> that's terrific. Excuse me. Um, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. <clears throat> and then outside of that, honestly, not a great card. We got Randy Brown versus <clears throat> Jack Della Maddalena. <clears throat> the undercard's not good. Yeah, the undercard's not good. No, really um, overwhelming, man, looking at this here. Yeah, um, at least we got Elise Reed on there. She's worth a look. Yeah. Um, Jamie, Jamie Malarkey puts on fun fights against against Francisco Prado. Yeah, so um, on the card. Tyson Pedro gets another guy to run yeah. over. Yeah, I mean, again, really not a good undercard at all. But there's three fights at least that I'm fairly excited about. That's Randy Brown, Madalena. I think it's a good step up for Madalena. A really good test against a really gritty veteran who's been there against yeah. some, some really good Emmett guys. Emmett Rodriguez is like that's a career. That's Great like fight. a yeah. that's the big biggest fight of the career for either one of those guys. And then obviously the main event. But we'll uh, we you will hear from us next week, and we will break that one down for you. Until to then, that. I will see you later, my friend. Later, bud. Uh-huh.